Hello, and welcome to Veterinary Team Training Podcast. My name is Amy Newfield. I'm both the host and owner of Veterinary Team Training. Please check out my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts at vetteamtraining.com. Today, I want to talk to you about a follow-up to a vlog I did last week. I posted it on my YouTube channel in which I talked about how in my much younger years, I would say the following statement. They shouldn't own a pet if they can't afford the care. And I feel like most veterinary professionals at some point are actually going to say that if they haven't already said that at some point. I mean, I'm guilty of saying it. I don't even know how many times when I was much younger. And I think it took a a little bit of maturity, but also just life experience for me to grow out of saying that. And now it is one of those things that I actually try to educate people on what that means when they say that. It's so easy to say they shouldn't have pets if they can't afford the care. But let's dive into that and really talk about how I've reshaped my mindset around that. Let me also be very clear that I don't have all the answers. Unfortunately, in veterinary medicine, we have to deal with finances. And in human medicine, they don't. They have health insurance. And so even if you go in with a broken arm or you go into an emergency hospital, at some point, someone's probably going to go ahead and just bill you. But the nurses, the doctors, the actual medical team, they don't have to worry about billing the actual individual. In veterinary medicine, when we're met with a pet that has a broken leg, we have to interact with that client. If you're a doctor or a practice owner or a hospital administrator or a veterinary technician, you have to explain the bill. You have to explain your reasoning for charging things. And then unfortunately, the client starts to get argumentative. And truly, this argumentative client is one of the biggest contributors to our burnout. Now, every Everybody processes things a little bit differently. And when I was a lot younger, when people would say, you're money grubbing, how dare you? It's your fault that I'm going to have to euthanize my dog or cat. I would internalize that. I have found better coping mechanisms. I have talked to a lot of people. And at this point, I'm going on 25 years in the veterinary profession. So I have better ways of dealing with it. If you have not figured out good ways of managing through that client who's unfortunately not able to afford veterinary care to the best of their ability and is yelling at you and blaming you, I encourage you to figure out what works for you. And everybody has different ways of coping with stress and making sure they don't internalize every single statement. You have to hold fast to the truth. The truth is you're not money grubbing. The truth is you are offering the best care. The truth is you are an amazing veterinarian or technician or nurse. You are an awesome owner. And even though you can't give away all your services all the time, that doesn't make you a bad person. But with that aside, I'm going to pause here and say that is one section of the issue. The other section of the issue is us, veterinary community, believing, truly believing that pet owners are not deserving of an animal unless they absolutely can afford the best care at all times. The level of veterinary care has changed dramatically in the last 20, 25 years. You know, the relationship that people have with their animals has changed dramatically thanks to flea and tick prevention. Back in the 70s and 80s, when we didn't have topical or oral ways of going ahead and getting rid of our fleas and ticks, animals were a lot of times kept outside. They weren't allowed on furniture. They were just tethered to dog houses outside. And that was very common. But now, thanks to parasite prevention, we have an amazing relationship with our actual animals. And now there are fur kids, there are fur babies, we are pet parents. 
And that's fantastic, but with that becomes an increased demand of care at all times. We can also do really cool stuff in veterinary medicine. We now have the ability to do things like hemodialysis, valve replacements in hearts of dogs. We have the ability to do kidney transplants, chemotherapy. Animals are living longer and healthier lives because we can do some really cool advanced medicine to keep them alive. It's really awesome stuff when we think about it. We can put animals on ventilators experiencing respiratory distress or high flow nasal oxygen. But not everybody can afford that level of care. Does it really mean that they're a horrible pet parent? Do only the wealthy get to know the joys of an actual animal? So I decided to take it to the extreme. Are people who are homeless, who own pets, are they horrible pet owners? And unfortunately, the stigma of those people who are homeless, who own animals, most of the people, outsiders, as well as the veterinary professional, believe that unfortunately, those homeless individuals do not care very well for their actual pets. That is a stigma that exists. And so... I looked at different studies and some articles online to challenge that. Are homeless people who own pets terrible pet owners? They can't afford veterinary care. What does that look like? There was an interesting study in 2021 that was put out by the University of Guelph in, in Canada. Um, and they kind of looked at over a thousand client records and some obviously people had money and they looked at specifically individuals who did not have money. And it was interesting because the team analyzed each animal's main body score, which is an indicator of the overall health status. And they found that the majority of animals living with homeless people were actually in really good health. They actually found that the main score of the overall animal's body condition was 5.4 out of 9. Now, the ideal score for a cat is 5, and the ideal score for a dog is 4 to 5. So that's amazing. That means that overall, the people who are homeless are taking really good care of their animals. I think a lot of people have this stigma that if you're homeless, you can't afford to feed your animal. And the reality is, is... The homeless people usually give most of the food they have to their actual animals and the money that they get, they tend to spend it on their pets. And so this was really interesting. The study also analyzed each animal's body system, which include oral health, skin and muscle, as well as cardiovascular health. And they found abnormalities reported in pets owned by those in vulnerable households were the exact same conditions reported by those pets that actually were able to afford great and fantastic care. So we didn't see an increase in disease processes or issues with injuries or, or ailments because someone was homeless or didn't have a lot of funds. In fact, exactly the same. The cancer rates were the same. The injury was the same. And that's really interesting. Where there was a different was the access to preventative care. And so that became a big issue. And so anytime there was also a chronic or urgent care, those individuals who didn't have the funds, unfortunately, didn't have access to it. And so that was the biggest difference between people who could afford veterinary care versus people who not. But overall, the animals, even though they didn't get preventative care, they didn't see a higher rate of disease processes and again, they were relatively as healthy as those who were the wealthiest of clients. 
And so why is that? Why do the homeless or those with very low incomes have pets that are just as healthy as those who are wealthy and can afford pet care? And the reality is, is that the bond that these individuals experience is just as strong as wealthy people have with their own pet owners. So I'm going to challenge because there was actually a study, I think it was more than a decade ago, and it was very interesting um, that this person wrote up an article on what is the care of a pet? What does that really mean? And they talked about how from their perspective, there were two different types of people. You had someone who unfortunately, let's say truly was homeless living on the streets. And let's just say they had a dog. Every day that dog spent the entire day with them. It got to go on countless walks. It met a lot of really great people. It probably got to eat cool things like pizza crust or whatever the owner probably had. Um, but regardless, that dog lived a very busy life. And there were a lot of people that it got to interact with. And again, its owner never left them. And that was pretty cool. Maybe that dog snuggled up into a sleeping bag or some blankets and literally slept on the streets. But guess what? They were with their owners. Now I want you to take that other dog, that dog will say, you know, beautiful um, manicured golden retriever, owner spent a ton of money on it. They live in a mansion, they have a house of four and they live a very busy lifestyle. And during the day, the dog stays home by itself and it's there for eight to nine hours by itself. Family comes home, they open up their beautiful sliding door and the dog runs out into a half an acre or an acre fenced in yard. And it stands out there by itself. And the owners are busy. They're getting ready for dinner. They've got kids. They got to get ready to go to soccer practice. They got to feed the kids really quickly. And the dog is, is out in the yard by itself. Maybe someone throws a ball a couple times, but it does, they don't spend a ton of time. And then maybe it chases a bird. But again, the dog is out there by itself. And then maybe they let the dog in while they're having dinner. Maybe they yell at the dog because it's misbehaving because, well, it's bored out of its freaking mind. It hasn't seen its people all day. And then they go off to soccer practice or a play or something like that. And they come home and they're tired and they pet the dog. They tell the dog they love it. And then they go to bed. I want to ask you, who has a better quality of life as far as those dogs? The one that spends every single waking moment with its owner that's constantly being petted and constantly being loved or that dog that's completely left alone in the mansion? And so I want to challenge every single one of you when we think about that. But I also want to talk to you about some homeless studies that came out because this was really interesting. There were several studies that have concluded that homeless people attribute their pets to actually saving their life, getting them off of the drugs or alcohol. And they actually, one researcher noted that many dog owners reported that dogs knew when the homeless person was sad or emotional. And this was a really important empathetic experience that the homeless person had with their actual pet. They developed a super strong bond and homeless pet owners are use their pets to facilitate socialization. A lot of homeless people aren't comfortable socializing, but yet the pet gets them to socialize and they actually be able to provide for their animal because there's a mission. They have an actual mission and a reason and a will to live and maybe get themselves out of that bad experience. Many pet owners who are homeless regard their pets with a high degree of attachment, stating they can't live without them. 
And so there, again, there's been some really interesting studies where the homeless has actually attributed that pet is getting them off of drugs and alcohol, and in some cases, even getting them out of homelessness, which is really important. And so this is really important that we recognize that pet owners come in all shapes and sizes. And my ignorant, much younger version of myself that said the words, they shouldn't own a pet if they can't afford the care. I'm embarrassed by that person. I simply didn't know. And so I'm going to pause here and I'm going to say to you that if you are someone who has said those words, I challenge you to start reshaping your mindset. Pet ownership is beautiful and it shouldn't be the wealthy or only the people can afford care to who can experience that beautiful nature of owning that pet, of having that pet owner bond. I truly believe everyone, absolutely everybody should be able to have the ability to own a pet and understand what how beautiful it is to have that relationship because it's pretty awesome. And I hear what many of you are saying, Amy, we can't give away all of our services. What am I supposed to do when I have a client that comes in and their puppy has a broken leg or their cat is urinary obstructed and they can't afford veterinary care? What the heck am I supposed to do? I can't give away all the services. And even if we understand and we want to be able to give away all of our services, we simply can't, right? We have to be able to figure out how to run a business. And so some of the things that we can do in veterinary medicine, and again, there's no perfect answer to this problem, you know, but what can we do? One, we should encourage our pet owners who can't afford it to get pet insurance because reality is, is that at some point in that pet's lifetime, they're going to end up in the emergency room or in an urgent care veterinary hospital, or they will get sick or injured in some sort of way. They'll have a disease process. They'll get kidney failure. They'll become obstructed. They will bloat. And whatever that looks like, that pet insurance more than pays for itself in that moment. But that said, if a lot of pet owners just put together and actually do, actually do it, a pet savings account, over time, the money that's accumulated in that pet savings account actually is probably equivalent to what they would have paid out in, in the actual insurance. So think of the insurance sometimes as those monthly payment plans towards a company that can really financially help you out should you really need it for the pet. Now, And then I want you to think about that pet savings account in lieu of that. And so ideally, if we can afford pet insurance, go for it. If not, a pet savings account probably is second best. But here's the thing, a lot of pet owners say, oh, I'm absolutely gonna do a pet savings account, and then they don't do it. There's a lot of wonderful online banks that will automatically withdraw from your primary account and put it into a little fund in case of a rainy day. I actually have one for a brand new car. One day I'm gonna get my brand new vehicle that I always wanted. I only ever buy used cars or whatever's the cheapest on the lot. And one day I'm gonna get to pick out my own car. I'm gonna get to design my own car. I'm gonna get the color I want. To date, that has not happened. But I have a new car fund, and I swear one day it will happen. It's slowly ticking up numbers, but it's not quite there yet. But one day, I'm going to have that happen. So um, I do have pet insurance for my own pets. Even every time I've ever worked in a veterinary hospital, I've, I've had the ability to luckily be able to afford pet insurance for my own animals. Um, so I don't have a fund for them, but I do have a fund for a vehicle. So guys, one day I'm going to get a new car that I've picked out. It just hasn't happened yet. 
Um, but we do need to talk to our pet owners. And I think that starts with the puppy and kitten visits. And so there's a lot of information that we want to provide for brand new puppy and kitten owners. And consider writing down like kind of a narrative so that when you go in there, you say, have you ever thought about what happens when they become sick or injured? Have you thought about pet insurance? How many of you have that conversation? Or if you haven't thought about that, what about a pet savings fund? And giving them some prices so that they can have a realistic perspective of what it costs to fix a broken leg costs a couple thousand dollars no matter where you live in the United States. What does that look like? We also want to think about in the time of can they afford a credit line? There's a lot of scratch pay care credit. There's probably newer companies maybe that I'm not aware of that have come up that offer payment plans where that they offer a really low annual percentage rate for people. So unfortunately, it, it you know, sometimes it's a 0% for a certain amount, but then ideally it's a really low rate for people. And it's like a credit card, obviously. Um, it's a line of credit, essentially, that they can use to put towards their bill. So I feel like most veterinary hospitals need to be offering these lines of credit for companies that offer them for veterinary clients that are struggling. And certainly for many of our smaller general practices or even emergency privately owned hospitals, we have the ability to do our own payment plans. Listen, I worked for a GP that did that and it is a pain in the butt. Um, tracking down clients, we had over $25,000 in debt. Um, we gave line of credits, but that's a lot of manual paperwork for you to have to constantly put reminders out. And then if they don't pay, are you taking them to collections? So um, to me, it was not an option um, to do that now in 2022. But at the time we did it back in the 90s. That's that's how we managed it. There was no, there was no care credit or scratch pay. So we did our own line of credit for our, our small general practice. You can certainly also consider crowdfunding. So GoFundMe is probably the largest out there. There's also GoFundMyPet, where funds can only be spent at veterinary clinics. Anywhere else, you know, is considered fraud, but, you know, donors can, can confidently donate to someone to the GoFundMyPet on that page, and they will realize it's going to the direct care of that actual um, a veterinary hospital to care for that particular animal. I don't think a lot of people realize that. And so I want to challenge every single hospital to have clients that are struggling. Let's just say it's a diabetic disease. You know, they have diabetic ketoacidosis and we can set up a GoFundMyPet account for that client or help them do it. And then that client can fundraise on their own ask their friends and family, and then ideally we get some anonymous strangers with lots of money to donate. Um, certainly we always want to kind of pick their brains. You know, when they come and they say, I really want to do everything. My dog has lymphoma. Have you asked your friends and family? A lot of times they're embarrassed. No, they're not going to want to. Listen, if they love you, they'll hopefully help donate to you. They understand that this is tragic and they sometimes love your pet a little bit more than they love you as a family member. Um, so we definitely want to think about that. And there's certainly plenty of wonderful low or free cost clinics out there. There's a lot of really wonderful nonprofit veterinary hospitals out there. Um, we have a couple that one of which is actually an emergency center near where I work, which is a nonprofit. And they offer really low uh, costs for people that have, you know, 
tragic, unfortunate things that happen to their pets. And so think about that as well if you have that option. There's also a lot of really wonderful nonprofits doing amazing work. And so there's a lot of really great uh, SPCAs and homeless shelters out there that actually have funds set up for veterinary care for people who can't afford it. And they'll pay those funds directly to veterinary hospitals. So make sure you really get to know your animal shelters and your animal rescue groups in your area. Do they have anything like that? And here's the kicker, guys. I'm going to encourage you that if you have such a wonderful nonprofit animal rescue or shelter in your in your location that happens to have a fund that's set up to give you money when a client is struggling financially, that you volunteer their time, your time for that nonprofit. You can set up spay and neuter clinics for them. You can volunteer at their actual spay and neuter hospital. Uh, there's plenty of nonprofits that run, you know, spay wagons volunteer one day and give back to that community shelter that that is giving to you. So consider that as well. The reality is, is that unfortunately we can't save every pet and unfortunately we can't do everything for everyone. We do need people to pay for veterinary care. And unfortunately, some people don't have the funds. When we are faced with really tough decisions and we've exhausted all of these options, and maybe you actually have some options I didn't even list, Then we have to start talking about other ways that we can help that pet. And so the last way that I want to challenge everybody is saying that veterinary care doesn't have to be perfect. There's a lot of treat and street options for a lot of things out there. Sure, the broken leg probably should ideally receive a plate and pins. Unfortunately, that person can't go ahead and get that leg plated. Will it heal in a cast? I don't know. We used to just cast legs all the time and it wasn't ideal and casts are a big pain, but they're significantly cheaper. So can we offer that as as an option for a particular client? And we have to explain all the rules and regulations. What about just unblocking the cat and sending it home? Yeah, that's right, guys. Just unblock them, send them home and hope they do okay. Give them some sub-Q, maybe have them come back in for a recheck with some sub-Qs. Send them home as long as it's not a urinary obstructed cat that's trying to die on you. There's a lot of treat and street options and we don't think about that because unfortunately we start thinking about the best care. What about parvo puppies that aren't really that sick? Can we just give some sub-Q fluids and send them home and teach the owner how to give sub-Q fluids? Yeah, we might be able to. Some anti-emetics, dirt cheap, right? Let's see how it does before we go to the euthanasia option. So that's my last and final challenge for all of you is there are there ways that we can change our level of veterinary care? We always offer the best, 100%, always offer the best. But when we've exhausted all the options financially, then can we try these other options and we go back to maybe 1970s and 1980 veterinary medicine and hey, give it a try? Because at least the client knows we're doing our best and we're not just jumping to euthanasia. The unfortunate reality is that Unfortunately, we may not be able to do much for that animal. Sometimes there are things that we need to go to surgery and there isn't any treat and street options. And I think that, you know, when those times come, we have to be as compassionate and empathetic as we can. And here's the other thing. We need to take care of ourselves. It's tough having those conversations. Ultimately, all of us who went into this field went into this field because we love animals, usually more than people. We want to save them. We want to keep that pet owner bond strong. And we want to do everything right by our clients. And it gets to be really emotionally draining when unfortunately we have to say to him, your pet needs emergency surgery. 
we've exhausted all options. There isn't anything else we can do. And you're telling me you can't afford this. And unfortunately, this is going to end up being a five or $6,000 surgery because your pet is septic. And we have to do that in order to save your animal's life and have run out of options. And that hurts our soul. And so now we have to figure out ways of taking care of ourselves. And I encourage every single person to do a a connection with yourself. What makes you tick? What helps to heal you during those times? Because that is a very real part of this. It's so easy to blame the client for not having money. In fact, when we do that, when we actually do that, and we say that they shouldn't own a pet unless they have the money, it actually helps to guard our emotions and say, well, it's their fault, not mine. I don't, I don't have anything to do with this. And you're right. It doesn't have anything to do with you, but it's harder to accept the fact that I care about this animal. I want the best for this person. I wish I could save them and I can't. That hurts really bad. So we have to figure out what works for each one of us. And growing your own emotional intelligence skills is probably one of the biggest things you can do to develop out the coping mechanisms necessary in order to help yourself heal through this process. Because in the end, you're always going to have a client that says you're money grubbing. You don't care. You're the reason. You're the reason why we have to euthanize my dog. You are it. And unfortunately, we can't take that home with us. We have to know our own truth. I am a good veterinarian. I am an amazing owner. I am amazing veterinary technician and nurse. And even though you are saying I'm not, I know my own truth. I'm awesome at what I do. I save animal lives every single day. I keep animals healthy so that they can stay with you. And this one pet, I can't save because I can't give it all away. And that is the reality. As much as we want pet owners to realize that they are responsible for the finances of their animals, there's always going to be a small subset of animal owners who don't realize that, who place the blame on everyone else. And here's the reality. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with them. They know they can't afford the care. They know it's their fault. They know that unfortunately they've put themselves and that pet in a bad situation and they're just trying to blame somebody else. And when the minute you realize it has nothing to do with you is the minute you can actually start healing yourself. So... I hope that this podcast has made you kind of look at things a little bit differently. Take that sentence out of your language where you say things like, they shouldn't own an animal unless they can afford the veterinary care because that's very superficial. Instead, I want you to challenge yourself. How can we give to people who don't have a lot? Are we truly doing everything that we can? And then if the answer is yes, we are doing everything we can, how do we take care of ourselves when we do have those emotional cases that we can't save? And that's really important for us to each recognize how we do that. Thank you for all that you do and keep on being a unicorn. Please check out all my other blogs, vlogs, and podcasts at betteamtraining.com. 